There's an escalating battle of wills between Governor Yunkin and school districts refusing to comply with the policies putting parents back in the driver's seat when it comes to how transgender issues are handled at school. We'll discuss the latest twists and turns in that face-off. Plus, a mother of three loses her job after speaking at a school board meeting. But instead of shutting up, she's speaking up even more. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, before we get started today, I have a fun topic I want to talk about. Well, I think it's fun. I read this article in the Washington Post that I really enjoyed, and it was about kind of the history of pizza in America and how people kind of like different types of pizza depending on what kind of region you're in. And I thought this was super interesting. Um, I kind of I will just kind of boil it down to the three categories I got from the article. Not that they put it this way, but I kind of got you're one of these three types: either New York thin crust, Chicago deep dish. Mm-hmm. Or more kind of California cosmopolitan. That that's what I learned from this article. And California cosmopolitan is you stuff know, on lots of stuff on top, or is it something know, about the crust? A little more thin. To me, it's like a little more thin. It's got the little mushrooms. I, I envisioned the, veggies because you yeah, said California, veggies. but I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's what you meant. Okay. You know, it'd be what people drink out in California with wine while yeah, they sit there and look at the sunset. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we, so are you, you're deep. Okay. Yeah. So here's the background of my life on this, and this this gets into a marital divide on this topic. So when we were engaged and when I first hung out with my husband's family, he's, he's a northerner, he's from the Northeast, um, they told me when I went to visit them, okay, we're gonna take you to this pizza place and it's like this, the greatest place ever, you're gonna love it. So I go in there full of anticipation and it's this thin crust thing. And I'm just looking at this going, where is my dough? I mean, where's my thick, (laughs) juicy pizza? Because I'm from Texas, you know, and I, you know, we do the thick dough crust. Yeah, that was a culture (laughs) shock. And we still don't agree over this pizza style. Well, I'm actually entertained more about the marital disagreement over this because Matt and I, you know, was north and south when we met. And everything was different, including white lights, color lights for Christmas foods. Everything was different. Except the pizza. I don't think we had a dispute over pizza, which is actually, um, I guess I took for granted the things that weren't different. But, um, yeah, it's thin crust all the way. Now, I did grow up in the Philadelphia suburbs. So, of course, New York-style pizza yeah. is a given. But it has to be the kind that it's thin and, like, the cheese is sliding off almost because it's just so greasy. And it's, you know, it's not about the dough. It's really about the experience of having to fold it to, like, get it into your mouth. It's it's all of that. See, I can't stand all that grease. When I get that grease, oh, it's probably I, not actu- good for you. I actually take a napkin and pat it down. Okay, we eat cheesesteaks also from Philadelphia, <laughs> though, so imagine that. I mean, yeah. But Matt, a southern guy, eats, he likes He doesn't have a crust. problem with it. Now, in our house, we have four kids now. Yeah. So what's interesting is each kid has a different favorite pizza place. So we actually rotate the pizza, but we rotate it between, oh. like, some of the bad chains that they like. Like, you know, we have a Little Caesars and a Papa John. Oh, and I'm like, oh, that's Stuff is all just terrible to me. Um, I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah, so we, we rotate. But you eat a lot of pizza when you have kids. Like, it's just, yeah. I, I didn't used to, but it became, like, a thing. So, All right, well, I want to hear from the gallery back here. Um, Jesse, I can guess what you are. So, yeah, I grew up in the Northeast as well in New York, so obviously I'm a thin crust person, but I've got some friends in the movement all over the country, and we often disagree on this point and have had very fiery arguments 
Um, thankfully, though, my husband also from the South grew up in Florida, so he's a thin cruster as well. Uh, but in Virginia, I've noticed that the real divide is do pineapples belong on pizza? Yes, they do. No, they, they, they 100% do. Okay, they apparently do we don't agree on that either. <laughs> All right, Catherine, Michigan. Let's let's get some of Michigan, Michigan commentary on pizza. Well, despite growing up near Chicago, I've never had a deep dish. Okay. I just can't and, believe you have never even had that. And yeah. now that I also, like growing up, I didn't know that I had a gluten allergy. But now that I have that, I have yet to find a gluten-free deep dish uh, in the regions that I live or even in like the freezer section mm-hmm. or anything. So by default, I am a thinner crust type person. I will say, I have to tell you, I never thought I'd eat a pizza that they made at a cauliflower crust because I thought that's the most ridiculous thing ever unless you have to yeah. and I would never have to. But I am I'm, I'm eating a little bit better these days and I actually went to a restaurant and tried a cauliflower pizza crust and it was phenomenal and I would do it again. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's not true of every cul- I think that is they, they can be, be very selective, good, right? But yeah, <laughs> they can admit, be very good. But then you'd have no dough. You'd good. have you'd have no dough. I you... had one that I thought was okay. good. Yeah, did you, was it like at a restaurant or no, did you actually buy actually, one? Actually, I bought it to be healthy. Wow. Okay. And well. it wasn't as bad as I thought. Well, there we go. It wasn't See, deep dish. The dough is really not where we're all supposed to be centering <laughs> yeah. our eating habits, but I, it is good. I, I will say I'm a little offended that Jesse, before this show began, called my deep dish pizza a casserole. <laughs> deep dish is a casserole. It's okay. It's a good casserole, but it's a casserole, not a pizza. I did. I, I will say, of course, when you go to Chicago, you do have to. So I did, when I was in Chicago, go and have an official deep dish. And it just, it, it, it's so thick. I feel like you have to cut it. Like, I felt like I had to use a fork and knife because things were going to... Like, it was just too thick. so wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. If you have to eat it with a fork and knife, that just doesn't seem right. Anyway. All right. Well, (laughs) diving into today's more serious topics, we mentioned this ongoing battle really nationwide over parental rights and how schools are handling these transgender issues that are being pushed in schools today. And Virginia really has become ground zero in all of this and... You know, as in a lot of cases, a lot of eyes are on Virginia and how we are going to handle this, what's going to happen in our state. And it's interesting to watch um, how schools are navigating the decision of whether or not they are going to adopt Governor Yunkin's recent revisions, making these policies on transgender issues in schools more parent friendly. And so there's been a lot of twists and turns just over the last couple of weeks. And, Victoria, I'd love for you to bring us up to speed on this. Yeah, well, I mean, we have some some counties like Roanoke County in Spotsylvania that have done great things. They have gone ahead and wholly adopted these guidelines, and they've been courageous in the face of, you know, in every school board there's folks on both sides. And so they've done a great job. And, of course, you'll remember we talked about the Roanoke County one in our podcast because uh, you had the Biden administration coming in trying to force themselves into the middle of it because they were having, I think it was community tenseness or whatever. So I there was a protester. <laughs> right, there was like a protester, two. and then the federal government was going to say, we're going to come yeah. to your rescue. And I think um, there's been an update on that, that Roanoke has basically said thanks, but no thanks. We're not interested in your yeah, government. This, this is pretty awesome. The school board chairman, Brent Hudson, made it clear that they did, in fact, determine that Biden's so-called community relations agents, or community <laughs> relations service agents or something, right. that that was not going to be in the best interest of the community. Um, so that's good. But on the other hand, we have other school boards doing the polar opposite of this. Instead of listening to parents, they are completely ignoring them. They are rejecting these policies. I think Fairfax School District, surprise, surprise, was one of the first to lead out rejecting, publicly rejecting these parent-friendly revisions. 
Um, but the Nova schools, I thought, seemed to all be taking cues from one another yeah. because it's all kind of <clears throat> suspiciously the same. Yep. So you know how Prince William, um, Alexandria, Arlington, it looks like they're all rejecting these policies. Yeah, but I think it's really interesting because um, the governor is making a pretty vocal fight about this, which I really love. You know, they, he's gotten in a pretty public battle, um, just kind of calling them out for not following the guidelines. So I think we should listen to what he has to say for a minute just to kind of hear the, the debate. Be back on the program. Um, what do you say to Thanks, those Martha. who are defying this Virginia legislation that passed and that you put into effect? Is there anything that you can do about it? Well, let me just first begin with it's the law, and the law is very clear mm -hmm. that, that I issue model policies and local school districts have to adopt policies consistent with the model policies. And I would add to the fact that, that this is common sense. Uh, we are very straightforwardly saying that, first, parents are in charge of their children's lives. The kids don't belong to the state. They belong to parents and to families. And they have the ultimate say in decisions that that child is going to make with a parent, not with a bureaucrat. And finally, at the end of the day, this is the, these are the exact same school systems that fought us on allowing parents to decide whether children wear a mask or whether sexually explicit mm -hmm. materials could be removed from the curriculum or that schools were going to stay shut for an, a, long, a, a, a long period of time. So I really like that he commented that this is the law, right? Like there's a law that says and these are the model transgender guidelines. I like the fact that, you know, he basically said local school districts have to adopt something. That's what the law says. They have to adopt something that is consistent with the, the guidelines. Um, and, uh, you know, that kids don't belong to the state. They belong to the parents. I think he's done such a good job generally messaging about, you know, he's doing these Parents Matter rallies mm -hmm. right now and those kind of things. Um, and, of course, you know, who, who's not going to notice, you know, it's the same districts that fought us the first go around. You know, when we, you know, when Governor Northam had passed bad model guidelines, it was these guys that went guns a-blazing and made the worst possible policies known to man. And so, of course, we, we would expect that they're the ones, again, battling. And they were also the ones that were terrible on COVID and, and terrible on all sorts of other things. So, yeah, um, you know, Explicit we, we content, parents all of it, up, all that. Th these are the target school boards where parents know if you're going to live here, you're going to have a battle on your hands. Well, here's the interesting thing. Shortly after that, after Governor Youngkin made those strong statements, then we get this news that Fairfax School District has recently put out uh, another publication, an update, to their, quote, students' rights and responsibilities document. And this appears to all be kind of an open conflict of the revised policies. For example, this document tells students that they have the right to something called non-disclosure of gender identity. Now, I'm going to assume that that gets into not telling your parents. That's what I would read it as. Uh, it also has the right to access restrooms and locker rooms that are different from their biological sex. And then there's a section, there's this whole section on discriminatory harassment, but it includes things like, quote, dead naming and misgendering. Yeah, these these terms make me crazy because this is this is absurd. I mean, dead naming, this is what the child was named. And in this county, it might be what their parents still call them because they're telling their kid not to tell their parent that they're out at school. So so the whole school is supposed to pretend with this new name that they're using and the parents are probably still quote dead naming at home. This is absurd. Yeah. When you think about it, it's kind of creepy it's villainizing. To call it dead yes, naming. they're like, villainizing. They're, like that's that they're dead. That's just yeah. Yeah. No one died. Yeah. And no one died. And that's what we wonder where hopelessness comes from. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's a whole side yeah. of spiritual conversation. But it's just really disturbing and, and misgendering 
is to identify somebody that actually is biologically this sex and to, you know, I mean, I just, the idea, we, everybody has to participate in what we know is not yeah. the case. And that is, and they're being very clear and it's very compelled and very forced. And I think that's really concerning. And also you got to remember Fairfax in particular, their policies call for punishment. And if you remember, their punishment is as severe as a five-day suspension for so-called malicious misgendering, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how, again, there was always this, what is malicious misgendering? Yeah. Because um, you got to get to the intent, what right? That that's, that's always getting into what's in someone's heart, mm -hmm. um, the malicious part. So that's always a little concerning. So, yeah. And the whole misgendering thing is, is specifically, I think, about the pronouns. Right. Um, so that gets into a real issue if you're forcing people to say a pronoun in reference to someone you know, that it's it's different than that person's biological sex. And that's where you get into these teachers, Tanner Cross, right. um, that have tried to Peter not Peter Vlaming yeah. that lost his job over not yeah. using pronouns. I mean, this is all the same state. All right. Well, on top of all that, some listeners may also recall this controversy that happened last year over a mandatory training for teachers in Fairfax County that basically said parental permission is not required for any of these things if kids decide they want to start experimenting with their gender at school or school school officials know about it. Um, I'm just going to give an example. This was reported by the Washington Examiner. We're going to put an image up on the screen for our YouTube viewers. But basically, this is a slide from this training that asks a multiple choice question. Quote, parent permission is required for which of the following question mark? Then it lists these scenarios, including a student requesting to use a different name at school or use a locker room that core, the way they put it corresponds with their gender identity. And of course, the answer is none of the above. Parental permission is required for none of the above. Uh, you know, I, it, it is really disturbing that this is where we've gotten. And just, I mean, it's clear that Fairfax's policy is a flagrant violation. It's completely opposite of what these model guidelines are. And you, I mean, if you're wondering kind of how they're justifying this, mm -hmm. what they're saying is, you know, basically that, that Youngkin's guidelines violate, they're kind of implying that they somehow violate these higher order laws. And they reference, of course, the Virginia Human Rights Act, Title, uh, Title IX, and equal protection, and kind of say, well, he, you know, his don't fit into this. So that's what they're saying, and they're just insinuating that it's somehow legally off yeah. base. And they're throwing federal laws into that yeah. mix to yeah. try to appeal to a higher order, right. as you put it. Right. Well, here's the good news. You know, Governor Yunkin's administration, Governor Yunkin himself, has really been pretty bold on this. So um, he asked his attorney general, Jason Mieres, to develop an official opinion about this, whether these policies are in violation of federal laws, Virginia Human Rights Act, and uh, Attorney General Jason Mieres did do that. He has now put out an official opinion. And we aren't going to go into the whole thing because it's several pages long. Legalese. But, yeah. <laughs> the main thing you need to know is that it makes clear in a very, you know, thoroughly documented way that these policies are not in violation of these laws. And uh, also, I thought this was interesting. It also makes clear that these school districts cannot be in open conflict with the revised policies that are now the guidance for the state of Virginia coming out of the education department. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really great 
it's a it's a really powerful tool for parents because they don't just have to say it now they have the attorney general saying it and mm -hmm. so they can they can share that with their school board members and I also you know on our website we put a lot of these kind of tools right there at our protect every kid yeah. website where there's you know we can you know you can use the AG letter we also have a letter from our founding freedoms law center and there's just all sorts of um, talking points and things but there's a lot of tools that these parents can use to say no you can't go against these guidelines because they are in fact um, you know issued by the governor and I, I what I think is most relevant is you know when Fairfax and all these other counties when we when we had bad guidelines and we said hey you as a locality get to get to make your own decision the reason we did is because the old guidelines violated a parent's fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their child that's a law in Virginia code and the old guidelines that is the highest that higher, is the, yeah. yes and that the old guidelines 100% violated that, but these guys were fine with conflicting with that part That's of the great. code. But yeah. now we got to appeal to Title IX or the Human Rights Act or whatever it is. So everybody's picking and choosing. And, um, you know, I think a parent's right is pretty emphatic, and the courts have upheld that over and over and over again. That is an excellent point. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate the reason having these legal documents at your fingertips as parents, concerned citizens, is powerful because you don't have to be the legal expert and explain and, and kind of counter all these arguments. The knowledge is there. So we have compiled all that at familyfoundation.org slash protect every kid. Again, just scroll to the bottom, look for the, the uh, downloadable tools, look for the legal guidance. And not only are you going to see the attorney general's opinion, but also our Founding Freedoms Law Center yeah put together something on this this whole Grimm's case. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest objection people hear from their school board is, oh, there's this U.S. Supreme Court case on, on Gavin Grimm and that. And I think our law center did a great job just saying, here's the distinctions. Here's why this is not exactly like the, the Gavin Grimm situation. And here's and, and so I think being able to kind of provide your school board some counter to that, because that's what a lot of folks are going to hear. Yeah, it's almost like that Grimm case is always brought out as kind of the big it's hammer. like the big the, weapon. Yeah, the big weapon. Um, but but the truth is, unless you have very fa specific facts that align yes. with that, that, that isn't a just sweeping thing. That right. You, I think they yeah. want to use it for a whole lot more than the actual case was about. And especially when you get to the parent deception part. That case was yeah. not about parent deception. That case was, you know, very narrow on mm -hmm. what the findings really related to. Um, so, exactly. yeah. All right. Well. I just want to address one thing that I think needs to be said or discussed because I keep hearing people talking about kind of skeptically, well, this whole parental rights movement, it, it's, it's all political. You know, Governor Yunkin knows that this is a winning issue politically, and it's almost as if they're just sweeping that aside, um, that it's just kind of a superficial movement. It's, it's kind of fake. It's not legit or something like that. But I just wanted to address the fact, you know, I, I think Governor Youngkin does genuinely care about these parental rights issues. But even if that wasn't the case, and he did see that as a winning issue politically, which it is, um, I don't think that's a negative thing. Every and once in a while, the right thing and the popular <laughs> thing align. It does not always happen in our culture. But this is actually an example where it happens to both be the correct thing to do and people are going to support you for doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole point of us being is in this system that our founding fathers gave us, a constitutional system, is that we have a right and responsibility to vote. And the whole point of that is that pe elected officials know what matters to us. Absolutely. And I mean, the opposite could be the case. I mean, I, I think we only have to look at California where they've got this whole situation where the government is actually attacking a local school board for suing and, and suing the school board for trying to stand up for parental rights. So, so it could be an entirely different situation. You know, California's attorney general, Rob Bonta, announced a lawsuit against Southern California School District, one of these these lower um, 
California school districts, um, the Chino Valley Unified School District, because it dared to respect parental rights by requiring educators to just just to notify them mm. if their child is going down the path of gender transitioning. So it was just a notification thing. And all their policy requires is to tell parents, for example, if your kid wants to use a different pronoun or use a different bathroom or a different name or whatever it might be, they're just going to notify. But for that, the government is actually coming at them. Yeah, did you notice that Attorney General Bonta called this a forced outing policy? I think that was the headline of his press release. Um, he said, quote, wrongfully, it wrongfully endangers the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of nonconforming students who lack an accepting environment in the classroom and at home. Now, we've kind of heard this whole forced outing argument before, haven't that we? That was a huge, huge term that they used, especially when we were talking about Sage's Law, which we've talked about on this show before. But it was, you know, it was from a legislator who really wants all non-affirming parents treated like child abusers. You know, that's that's their concept. They That person has made it crystal clear. And so they use this term forced outing just for notifying parents. Meanwhile, the child is out at school. The whole school to knows. Else. They're out, but yeah. not apparently at home. And then that would be a forced outing so you know this is one of those things and if we I mean if we continue to to head in that same direction as we did under Governor Northam we're gonna see our you know our DOJ is gonna get weaponized against parents I mean we know the federal government is run by somebody who believes this and so it's really good that we have a state government our 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 governor is at least pushing back on all of that and that's where it kind of gets back to what I was saying about it's a redemptive thing if we vote and they know that parents matter because yeah. we see what it looks like if they're not getting that message. And if we would have continued that way, I'm sorry, under Governor Northam's administration, yeah. I think we could be California right now with them going after parent-friendly policies in local school districts, local communities. I think 100%. And, of course, I know a lot of people are also wondering, okay, if, they, if, the, if the attorney general, if they can come after the school boards for doing the right thing in California. Can we go after the school the boards? The, well, the, the yeah. Well, the, the school boards. The school the right boards thing, doing I'm the sorry. right thing, and the, you know they're coming <laughs> yeah. after them in the wrong yeah. way. Um, but I think people are wondering. Okay, so can our attorney general? I mean, that's the natural question. Is like, yeah. you know, I, at this exact end, I can't say literally what the fact set would have to be to allow the attorney general to have authority. But yeah. of course, we do hope they'll be aggressive. You know, that if there are opportunities yeah. to stand up against these Fairfax and Arlington and Alexandria and Prince William and those Northern Virginia schools you know, to fight for parents. I, I hope our AG can take yeah. advantage of those. So if they can if they can go after local school districts that way, can our attorney general hold them accountable here yeah. on behalf of parental we'll rights? We'll wait and see because I think there's interest. I mean, I was encouraged because right before we recorded this, I saw a statement from the attorney general talking to reporters that our attorney general, Jason Mieres, um, that he was saying, hey, if your school board votes to reject these, you can sue as a parent on Great. behalf of parental rights. And um, and they said they would look at it case by case and see if it was appropriate for Yeah, whether the they attorney. can step yeah, in. Yeah, so I, it looks like they're willing to do that. It's a good start. At least the, the, the words and intent are, are, are there. Well, as we continue to see this battle play out in school district after school district in Virginia, I just want again remind people some online resources that will be helpful to you because I, I think the important thing to keep in mind here is too many school boards are hearing this and, and really embracing this one-sided narrative that this whole forced outing that you know we're gonna have um, they're gonna they're listening to this argument that if you got to cut the parents out because if you bring the parents in it's going to harm students they're going to commit suicide and um, it's it's really not a, a data-based argument. <laughs> Um, actually, the opposite is true. You you prevent more suicides when you have parents involved. Yep. 
Um, but that story needs to be shared. We need to expose the other side of this story, the real harm that results when you cut parents out of the process, when parents are no longer allowed to be that protective shield in their child's life. Right? Like we yeah. need to give school board's tools to hear that point of view. Yeah, and I just think we should mention, you know, on the website we talked about some of the, you know, the legal advice and all that, but there's also s- stories, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's also access to things about, you know, we had Michelle Blair talk about Sage's story. We've talked about that on this mm-hmm. this um, podcast a bunch. And, and we brought, let's just say, real quick, yeah. I mean, so Sage, um, the school hid from Michelle right. that her daughter, I think around 15 years old, was experimenting with their gender, and long story short, she ended up in the hands of sex traffickers because Michelle was cut out of the process. Exactly, so an example the, of real yeah. harm when a parent is not knowledgeable. So there's 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 all sorts of stuff about that on there. We also brought in Chloe Cole. We yeah. could, I mean, we had her on this podcast. Yeah. There's a lot of resources there around her story. This is a young girl that transitioned at a very young age, including surgery and the whole nine yards. And now at just 18, 19 years old, mm-hmm. she already has just tremendous regret and is trying to help other people not find themselves there. So these are powerful things. And we brought, you know, we brought her out to Virginia Beach to try to have that big battle out there. Um, You know, and and again, you know, that was a, you know, a 5-5, one abstention scenario. So these things are really close in communities. They are still wrangling in Virginia Beach we and gotta, many other communities. We gotta hold them accountable. We gotta just stay on it. Keep yeah. keep raising our voices until we get folks to listen to the parents. Yeah, and so Chloe Cole is a great video on the website at familyfoundation.org/protecteverykid. Uh, she filmed a three-minute video that is great to share with your school board members. It, it's very powerful. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, since we're on the topic of school board battles and California... I do want to bring up for this week's Inconceivable this courageous mother of three in Benicia, California, who spoke at her local school board meeting and afterward lost her job. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to highlight these stories because it's part of this trend that just keeps happening and it's escalating where we see people on the left trying to create enough fear that if you speak up, you're going to lose your job, right? They're they're doing this to people and then they're using these stories to try to um, get citizens to you know, back off and, and quiet down. And, you know, I mean, we're going to cancel you from your job. We're going to, you know, mm-hmm. take your bank account, all these all these cancellation issues. Yeah, that is the goal. Target these people, make an example of them. And eventually people start self-censoring, as you and I right. know, because we talk to people who tell us, I can't speak up at my school where I'm in, a, you know, I'll lose my job. I mean, we hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's why it's so important that this mom did not allow these intimidation tactics to shut her up. It's, instead, she just started speaking out more which I love. Um, will you tell us a little bit of this story? Yeah, so let's go back and just kind of explain it. Basically, she it just started in the spring. Her name is Janet Roberson, and she's a mother with three kids, as you said, in public schools. And she basically just gave comment at her local, it's at Benicia School Board meeting, and she just expressed concern. Basic mom thing, expressed concern about a new sex ed curriculum that was going for 10 and 12-year-olds. Yeah. Well, we're going to play a portion of her comments, but as you are listening to her comments, just keep in mind as you're listening that 
for these comments, maybe a two to three minute um, speech, a testimony, she was made the target of a, a public shaming campaign for this little three minute uh, comment. There was a letter to the editor after she spoke that repeatedly identified where she worked over and over again and referred to her with many different slurs, including uh, a self-loathing bigot or, or equating her to a self-loathing bigot. So keep that in mind as you listen to this. But I would like to say to you who are entrusted to represent and make decisions for our children and to the community that may be watching this video, that we have a big concern with what is now being taught to children as young as 10 in Benicia, such as children are being asked to identify their pronouns, and this is now part of the 10-year-old curriculum. This forces a gender discussion beyond the scope of the state requirements and complicates an already overburdened classroom environment. We are alarmed that gender identity is now being discussed in math classes. This takes time from core learning and does not benefit the students or our community. Teaching kids that there isn't any standard or truth and that you can believe anything you want to believe is not scientifically accurate or medically correct. For example, the notion that a girl can decide to be a boy or a boy can decide to be a girl is not true and should not be taught. The new curriculum teaches that individuals can decide if they're male or female regardless of anatomy, does not explain that a boy cannot menstruate and a girl cannot impregnate someone. This is not scientific or medically accurate. Our 10-year-olds will now be taught that they can receive puberty blockers to prevent their body from going through changes that make them uncomfortable. All humans are uncomfortable during adolescence. To teach vulnerable children that a lifetime of dependence on medical care is a viable option is completely unacceptable and evil, frankly. The new curriculum encourages gender confusion, not gender clarification. All parents. Well, what did you think? Does she sound like a self-loathing bigot to you? I feel like it's pretty darn reasonable to bring up the fact that transgenderism is creeping into math. I mean, yeah. that that seems like every mom could relate to this is absurd. And then, you know, but just days after she makes those comments, a left-wing blogger who is apparently some connection to a local progressive political group, of course, you know, then writes this note to the real estate company that she's contracted with. Um, Compass, I think, was the name of the real yeah. estate company. And, you know, basically, among other things, the note asked how Compass enforces its DEI policies. Like, like your employees are stepping outside of what mm -hmm. they should be allowed to say in other contexts having mm -hmm. nothing to do with their job. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah, what are yeah. you going to do about it? I mean, someone is openly hateful like this is what they said, mm -hmm. which is just disturbing. And so basically the the note gave a deadline um, of like 9 p.m. or 9 a.m. on on May 1st for a response. So so they wrote this note and they demanded a response from the employer um, or the public post would be made, you know, we made that, that, that they didn't get rid of this woman. Basically, like, we're going to threaten the business if you don't handle this. And so yeah. um, it's pretty disturbing. Yeah, and lo and behold, on May 1st, Janet Guess says, what happens? Company yeah, folds. She gets a call um, from uh, her boss informing she's no longer a real estate agent with this company. Shocking. Yeah. We have such courage. But they picked the wrong mom for this. And that's what I love about this story because... This is a woman who apparently has lots of great marketing skills through her <laughs> real estate experience. So um, she knows how to do websites and videos. So she did a whole website on getting canceled. That's awesome. She did a video about it. Um, and it got the attention of people like Elon Musk and libs of TikTok. So her story is out there. And we're going to put, for our YouTube viewers, we're going to put up an image of her website and also Elon Musk tweet. Or, well, it's not tweet. I don't know what you call them anymore. Whatever an X is. <laughs> an X. An X. 
Jesse um, called a zeet, I believe. A oh my zeet? God. Are you serious? Well, at least we know. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I'll still sound uncool because I'll no, re- routinely refer to this as a Twitter uh, tweet, but zeet. Okay. All right. Back on topic. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> sorry. We're, <laughs> we're lost in uh, Elon Musk's <laughs> playing around with words. So uh, the story continues to play out, and I think you're the one giving this week's Inconceivable Award, okay. so lay it on us. <laughs> I guess that means this week we're going to have to award the Inconceivable Award to the progressive bullies of Venetia who tried to, you know, they made this big effort to shut one mom up, but actually fanned a flame of courage that's still spreading across the country. Yeah. That's the best part about this story, and I think this courage will continue, whether it's moms in Loudoun County, Virginia Beach, <laughs> Benicia. They are not going to shut up. They're not going away. So stay tuned. Well, I guess that's going to wrap up our show today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to share our Speak Up Virginia playlist. And if you're listening on our, our, you know, our audio versions, Spotify, Apple, make sure and give us that five-star review so we can get the word out to more people. We'll see you next time. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together.